Let me tell you a really wild story. There's a guy who sees a vision of an angel who is wrapped up in a cloud, and the angel has a rainbow around his head. His face is like the sun, and his legs are like pillars of fire. He's holding a little book in his hand. The angel puts his feet on the sea and on the land, and then shouts like a lion roaring. Seven thunders sound that have messages in them. But the guy's not allowed to write them down. The angel tells him to take the little book and eat it, and when he does, the book tastes sweet, but it hurts his stomach. Okay, I didn't just make that up. That's Revelation 10, and the guy is John. So why is something like that in the Bible? In the Bible, angels act as messengers for God. This includes embodying qualities of God. The way this angel looked symbolically describes how God can fully reach all levels of existence through the divine human manifestation as Jesus Christ or the Lord. The cloud and rainbow represent the Lord's presence on the earthly plane and also on the spiritual plane. The face shining like the sun and the feet flaming like fire represent the power of the Lord's divine love and how that comes through on the earthly level. The feet placed on the sea and land symbolize the Lord watching over the outer and inner aspects of our spiritual lives. This angel crying out with a loud voice was an expression of profound grief, depicting the Lord's grief over how the teachings that he gave to the world were hijacked by people with self-serving agendas. Forces of evil were using Christian doctrines to justify their agendas and actions. The seven thunders were expressing deep knowledge about the Lord to the heavens. But John wasn't allowed to write them down for people on earth because the time wasn't right. The full truth about who Jesus Christ really was couldn't be revealed until severe false doctrines and evil agendas had been confronted. Otherwise, that information would be corrupted and profaned even more severely. The book in the angel's hand described the truth in the Bible about Jesus Christ. There were statements in scripture that had been ignored and twisted so much that people were unable to see that truth anymore. John eating the book was a prediction that nearly 2,000 years later, when Christians heard that the Lord is the Savior and Redeemer, that would seem sweet because it sounded compatible with official Protestant doctrine. But when they absorbed that Jesus Christ was a manifestation of the one God, not separate from the Father, that would be harder to accept and digest. That concept would confront the idea of a separate father and son and the concept of salvation through the vicarious atonement and faith alone. Okay, that's it in a nutshell. For Jesus' prediction about how Christian doctrine would become corrupted, see our show End Times in Jesus Christ. To learn about the chapters in Revelation leading up to this story, see The Seventh Seal, Wormwood, and Seven Angel Trumpets, and Revelation, The Bottomless Pit. The three principles we'll dig into further here. One, the symbolism of the mighty angel. Two, divine grief and thunder. And three, the secrets of the little book. So stay tuned. The mighty angel. So the scene is set. John, he's on the Isle of Patmos, and he had just seen this powerful vision of the Lord Jesus Christ described in the first chapter of Revelation. If you want to learn more about that whole episode and what it meant, see our show, Revelation, Vision of a God-Centered Life. But now, in chapter 10 of Revelation, John sees what he calls another mighty angel. He's having a pretty good day, right? This angel was actually 
plot twist here, another appearance of the Lord or Jesus. Because from ancient times, God appears to people through the agency or through the vehicle of angels. This is what Swedenborg learned about it from Apocalypse Revealed. So here he is dissecting Revelation 10.1. And I saw another mighty angel coming down out of heaven is symbolic of the Lord in his divine majesty and power. From his description, it should be obvious that the angel means the Lord. The Lord looked like an angel because anytime he shows himself in the heavens or below the heavens, he appears as an angel. Now look how, look how this happens. He will fill some angel with his divine nature to make it easier for those to whom he is allowing himself to be seen to accept him. So he cares about, hey, this is how I'm going to reach you. And hey, you there, you little finite being, can I come through here? No angel, let alone any mortal, can endure the Lord's actual presence, his real nature or true essence. That's why he appears above the heavens as a sun, which is far away from angels in the same way our sun is far away from us. Oh, okay, so you got this white hot core of the Lord that we just can't even, our retinas will fry, but he's got this manifestation as a sun. But if he needs to get down there and shake hands, he can do it through angels. He is present in that sun in terms of both the divine nature he has from eternity and in terms of his divine human nature, which two natures make one like soul and body, which is cool. The angel is referred to as mighty in this verse on the basis of the Lord's divine power and is called another angel because it is describing a different characteristic of the Lord in this verse than before. So that's cool. You got the body of the Lord, the soul in there. That's got to be a heck of a day for that angel. Like, what? hey man, wake up, wake up. You were just the Lord for a little while. So what did this angel look like uh, and what did the appearance symbolize? Everything's got a meaning here. Let's look at the symbolism of the appearance. The mighty angel coming down is the Lord's, as we said, the Lord's divine majesty and power. The cloud, he's got this cloud. It's the Lord's divinity present on the earthly plane. The rainbow is the Lord's divinity present on the spiritual plane. Face shining like the sun is divine love and divine wisdom. It's not just a grab bag of atmospheric stuff. This all has meaning. Feet like pillars of fire. Yeah, why do you have those? Divine love on the earthly plane sustaining all things, because the feet are the lowest things, but even those are on fire. Little book and, or scroll in his hand. Information in the word about the Lord. And we can learn through the text of the very book that's bringing us this image. Right foot on the sea, left foot on the land. It's got to mean something. The Lord watching over inner and outer aspects of, at this point, the Christian church. So here we've got the Lord appearing through the agency of this angel, and it's awesome, and it tells us this stuff. But why is he doing it through the angel? Isn't, isn't the risen body of Jesus Christ around somewhere? Why couldn't he just use that? In the epistles, Paul talks about people being part of the body of Christ when we engage in our God-given gifts. And Swedenborg learned that this is true. Swedenborg sometimes saw the Lord Jesus Christ as a person outside of himself, but much more often he felt the very intimate presence of the Lord right inside him, as we all can. And Jesus is talking about this in John 14 when he's preparing his disciples for his upcoming death and resurrection. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. 
Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Our divine creator has always been the life force and deepest soul of every individual, flowing in through angels in heaven and down to us on earth. But as humanity became more corrupt, this system was suffering. The growth and sustenance of heaven depends on people from earth continually going into heaven after death, and also on a foundation of people on earth living with integrity and love. So before Jesus came, the unifying love that held heaven together and kept humanity alive was suffering for lack of consistent support from humanity. This is from Swedenborg's diary. It is a great mystery that the whole angelic heaven has been so formed as to correspond completely to a human being, and that this greatest human being was completely corrupted by falls. Thence came the necessity that Jesus Christ should come into the world and restore order, and thus be the one and only human being to whom the universe related. It is because of this that Jesus Christ is the all in all the parts and that with him alone, the angelic heaven interacts. So in some amazing feat of divine science, after God physically manifested as Jesus and made that body divine, freeing it from all physical limitations, the Lord's human body became this expansive universal anchor for all of heaven, restoring the flow of divine life into and through all angels and people in a way that could be more immediate and powerful than ever. Like the life of my own spirit present in every one of the trillions of cells in my body, the Lord is intimately present in the good impulses and inspirations in each one of us. That presence is deep within, but through spiritual growth, we can expand it. It's more powerful in angels because they've opened up to it more fully, but it's there in us too, and it's very real and alive. We can choose to bring God's presence and love and wisdom to each other in countless different ways. The cry and the thunders. A lot of noise in this one. So we are moving now to Revelation 10, verse 3, which says this. And the angel, yeah, what's the angel do? And the angel cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Like the thunders, oh, oh, the lion's roaring, go, go, go. So you've got this mighty angel, remember from the last section. What's he doing yelling like this? Swedenborg learned that this crying out by the angel was an expression of the Lord's deep grief. God is grieving. This grief was because the Christian church had been stolen away from him. So what does that mean? Well, when the name of Jesus and the quotes from Scripture and all everything that is of the Word started to be used by church leadership to justify bad stuff, when they started saying, look, I'm a holy person, so I can do this terrible thing, and we can uh, enact this terrible agenda because we're religious people, that wasn't even them. That was hell flowing in through people, through their desire to be harmful and dominate, to steal the Christian church organization away from God and use it for hellish purposes. Not everyone in it, but a lot of stuff. This was an attack on divine love. Swedenborg describes it this way. In spiritual trials, which are something we all go through, and so did Jesus, the hells attack the central passion of the person they are battling. 
One's passion is always the core of one's life. The Lord's passion was for saving the human race, and this passion was the very essence of his life. The divinity in him consisted in it. And the church is meant to be an organism that saves people, so the destruction of it means a lot to God. Think about the love that is in heaven. Think about a near-death experience. If you've ever read those, when, when you meet these beings, you, you run into God, and it's just absolutely caring about you as an individual and caring when you're suffering and not wanting us to hurt each other. Think about that heart, the heart behind that, feeling that grief. That's the lion roaring here. Because you know, God is the lion. He's, ta- he's called the lion. So it's grief. It's yelling like a lion roars because the lion is grieving. This is cool, man. <laughs> this is really cool. So we've got these seven thunders. Back to the seven thunders. John heard them and he heard messages in the thunders. But when he went to write down the messages, oh great, I'll, I'll transcribe these. The angel was like, no, don't do that. You can't do that. You don't have clearance to do that. Why? It's so that those messages, whatever was in those thunders, wouldn't be corrupted. Because everything thus far that the Lord had given to the human race was getting corrupt, like we just talked about. And this deeper information had to be protected until humanity had evolved to a point where it was safe to let this into the wild. So what's more central to the Christian religion than understanding who the Lord Jesus Christ really is? I mean, isn't it Christian, like follower of Christ? So those thunders were the voice of God telling that information to the heavens. Look, this is who I am. You may have heard some people saying, I'm something else, but this is who I am. But earth would have to wait a little bit longer until the, the rampant corruption in the Christian world could be dealt with. A huge and, in fact, central part of Swedenborg's mission in what he was writing in the mid-1700s was to capture and elaborate what it was that those seven thunders had said to John, but he was not allowed to write and pass down to us. And it turns out it has everything to do with uh, what theologians call Christology, the relationship between Christ and and the Father, quote-unquote. What was that relationship? How was Jesus divine? How did that whole thing work? So Swedenborg wrote and published a very succinct summary of it all in his work, The Lord. And in there, he makes the following points. The whole written word, the whole Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament are entirely about the Lord. Jesus fulfilled everything written in the Word. He was here with two purposes, to conquer hell and tame it, and to glorify his own human nature. His suffering on the cross was the final battle and victory. The crucifixion, contrary to popular opinion, did not take away our sins, as if to say remove them or wipe them out. But it did make it possible, which it wouldn't have been otherwise, to have our sins removed when we practice repentance. Jesus Christ is the manifestation of the one God who is the Savior. Jesus' becoming one with the Father meant his uniting his outer physical body with the divine soul that was within himself. There is a trinity in God, 
It is not, however, a trinity of three separate people, three separate gods, but a trinity of soul, body, and influence like the trinity that exists within each one of us. So it's amazing to think about the time finally coming where Swedenborg could reveal what the seven thunders said. The little book. Okay, we've got this giant angel. We've got these massive thunders and a lion is roaring. What goes with that? A little teeny book. (laughs) What's this book doing in here? How this revealed information would be received in the world is symbolized in the final scene in chapter 10. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. Oh, so he eats a book. He eats the book. That's how you get this little book to be the same genre as all this other strange, powerful stuff we're seeing. He eats the book. Why does he eat the book? What does that mean? Well, the information written in the little book is the same that was being communicated in the seven thunders. And this scene here is a picture of how that very information would be received in the Protestant Christian world when it would be revealed in the mid-1700s, we're thinking, through Swedenborg's writings. So you have John chowing down on this book, and the information in there that the Seven Thunders gave is information about who Jesus is. And it, at first, would seem sweet because it involves to the Protestant Christian world, oh yeah, it's Jesus, Jesus Christ the Savior, we really like it. But bitter in the stomach, hard to digest, as they say, because it had these two things with it. One, Jesus Christ is not separate from God. It's not a separate son. It's one. It's as we were describing before. It's like the body with the soul inside of it. And Jesus was not being sacrificed to appease God, so declaring faith wouldn't mean salvation. You couldn't have that, oh, I, I just believe and now I'm saved, which was really tough to stomach. Again, sorry for the puns. Swedenborg got labeled a heretic at the time for writing down this new information about the Lord, but he says, look, this is already there in the Bible. I'm just, you know, pointing out what, what we missed before. If Jesus isn't a separate divine being from the Father, it might seem like the Bible is misleading since it often talks about the Son of God. But there are actually many passages in the Bible that make it clear that the Father and Son are two aspects of the same divine being. So when we read of the Son of God, it symbolizes a particular aspect of God. Swedenborg makes a whole study of the use of this term in his work, The Lord. But here's just a couple verses that angle at the oneness between the Father and Son when prophesying about the Lord's birth. In Isaiah, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name God with us. And later in Isaiah, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder and he will call his name Wonderful, Counselor, God, Hero, Father of Eternity, Prince of Peace. Centuries of focusing on passages that seem to indicate two separate beings has reduced awareness of the other kind. 
But even the passages that seem to divide God into two or three can be understood symbolically. Check out our short clip, Does the Bible Say There Are Three Gods or One? It's a good one. So let's wrap it up. You've got all this fantastical imagery and all this stuff happening off in some other dimension. What's the take home? What does it mean for us? Getting to heaven is all about the intentions of our heart. We don't have to have a perfect understanding of the way things stand or theological stuff. That was actually one of the novel and I'd say banner ideas that Swedenborg came out with, but doctrinal misunderstandings can make things a lot more confusing when we don't get what's actually there and can make our journey more prone to problems of all kinds. If you think about the journey that we do through church or religion, this is all about a relationship with God. Okay, that, that's our vehicles that we attempt getting to know and connect with God with. And that's true whether it's us just in our hearts, the church of the heart, or whether it's a collective religious organization. And any relationship, so we're trying to get that relationship with God, it's going to have problems if we don't really know or understand the person we're trying to be in a relationship with. Yeah, here you go, God hears flowers. Is that what God really wants? How, how does God think? What are God's hobbies? This thing you've got to know about somebody. Well, with Jesus Christ, what's Jesus' hobbies? Love, <laughs> comfort, uh, saving people from whatever life they're trapped in. Jesus was the incarnation of God's love and wanted to show us that love. And that love wants you to know it better because its objective is to make you happy and knowing God is what makes you happy. So that's how we can better relate is to better understand and let God get that connection. If you want to know more about what Swedenborg learned about Jesus and the character of Jesus and all the details that allow for this connection, the time had come to reveal the mysteries of the seven thunders. If you want to dig into what those thunders said, check out our episodes. We had one called Who or What is Jesus? Why Jesus was born? Why did Jesus suffer and die? And how to understand the Trinity. Tons of cool stuff to dig into, but you may be tired of us or you want to experience or absorb in a different way, well, there's two really good books written by Swedenborg. One is The Lord. This is a succinct outline. And then also True Christianity. It's a ton of cool stuff in there. So there's a buffet if you want to move forward in your relationship with God. And this is what God wants. We want to understand that God is with us, reaching out to us all the time. And why? Why is God trying so hard to enter into our lives? Oh, you know, just to make us as happy as we can possibly be forever. Off the Left Eye is Curtis Childs, director, producer, and host. Karen Childs, writer, community manager, and host. Chelsea Odner, writer, production manager, and host. And Jonathan Rose, host and series editor of the NCE. Shada Sullivan is the voice you love in our narrations. Stuart Farmer is our technical director. Matthew Childs, our video art director. Our motion designers are Meng Jong and Jesse Johnson. Reed McArdle made our music. Devin Osblond is our production intern. Cara Dom is our Latin consultant extraordinaire. And Chris Dunn is our digital marketing magician. And you are our much-loved listener. And now you can journey with us all week. Every Monday's Swedenborg and Life episode, including this one, has a week's worth of content lined up to support you in your exploration of these life-changing ideas. All video content premieres at noon Pacific time, 
3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 7 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time on the Off the Left Eye YouTube, Facebook, and Simplecast channels. On Tuesdays, find us on social media or go to offtheleftye.com to get custom downloadable art paired with the week's topic to ground you through the week. On Wednesdays, join us to dig a little deeper into the week's topic with news from heaven. On Thursdays, we want to hear from you. We'll be sharing a new reflection question weekly on our community tab and social media channels. Then join us for Swedenborg Live on Fridays for our panel Q&A show. And listen every Sunday to the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast to always know what we're up to and what you can look forward to. If you want to help sustain Off the Left Eye's operations, consider becoming a monthly donor today. And right now, we have a matching gift challenge from a very generous donor couple where dollar for dollar up to $10,000 will be matched when you make a new or increased monthly donation. You can provide a direct gift or restrict it to our new Off the Left Eye endowment fund. Giving to the endowment fund is a great way to guarantee that your gifts live on to help Off the Left Eye forever. Go to otle.cosvox.com to become part of our essential community of donors. From all of us here at Off the Left Eye, we thank you.